0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice. This week's guest is Dr. Ken Reed. Dr. Reed is a sports policy director for the League of Fans and an author of numerous books. He has also been involved as an adjunct faculty member at several institutions teaching in sport management and has a long history in the industry. He's big on the reform and the proper way that sports can be used for young people as well as across the board. I hope you enjoy the next few minutes with Dr. Ken Reed. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Holding the Ladder in Sport and Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Tim Rice, and this week our guest is Ken Reed. Ken, welcome to the podcast this week. Um, Ken and I have worked together in the past. We were faculty members uh, at the United States Sports Academy in Daphne, Alabama as a a distance learning faculty. And um, so uh, I'm looking forward to learning more about you, Ken. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Well, thanks, Tim. It's uh, it was fun meeting you back in those days, and I've followed your career since, and I always enjoyed chatting with you about sports-related topics.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, we're and there's so much to talk about. So let's go ahead and get started. You know, I tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, there's a there's a big question that people get at their interviews, but uh, yeah, let's see. Uh, I grew up in Denver, Colorado area. Uh, My dad was a teacher and counselor and a coach, and so I was introduced to sports at an early age and uh, developed a passion for sports. And through the years, I ended up playing uh, college baseball and basketball at the University of Denver. And then, uh, since career-wise, I've been a sports marketer for a while, sports columnist, author sports industry management consultant, a coach, a basketball official, uh, sports management professor, and, and today I'm, I'm sports policy director for League of Fans, which is kind of a sports reform project uh, that Ralph Nader started at one point.
0: Yeah, how, how did you get involved with that?
1: Uh, interesting. I was In a prior job, I was working with someone in the communications area, who had written a children's book about Ralph Nader. And I was sitting in a Starbucks or some type of coffee shop reading the paper and saw that Ralph Nader was restarting this League of Fans thing that he had started in prior years, but it had kind of gone defunct for whatever reason. And so I said, that sounds perfect for me. It's kind of a think tank uh, type thing that he was starting on all sports policy type related issues and so I contacted my old colleague who wrote the children's book about Nader and he got me in contact with Nader and I sent him a a pitch on my idea of what it could be uh, all about and what it would look like and he got back to me and had a couple phone interviews and then he had me interview with one other person out here in Colorado and then got the job.
0: So uh, for our fans that are listening in other parts of the world, and maybe some others that don't know who Ralph Nader is, tell us a little bit about who Ralph Nader is. Well, uh, he's
1: probably one of the most famous Americans, at least the 20th century. I think Time Magazine and some other magazine had him as one of the 100 most influential Americans. Um, He came to fame. He's a Harvard-educated lawyer, but he came to fame uh, writing a book about the corvair and how dangerous it was, and that became a big, big best-selling book. And then he got uh, called into Congress to talk about the problems with it, et cetera, et cetera. Next thing you know, he's doing a bunch of other consumer adv- advocacy things, like on air pollution and water pollution and food quality. And he's basically the father of the consumer advocacy movement uh, that eventually led to him running for president three or four times with the Green Party. And I think as an independent once, and uh, he's still going, he's in his eighties, doesn't have any hobbies. I asked him if he has any hobbies. He said, what could be more fun than helping people out? And so he's, his passion after all these years remains very strong.
0: Yeah, I, it is interesting how that connects to sport. I mean, uh, how do you think his, I mean, tell me a little bit, uh, tell me a little bit about uh, League of Fans and tell me, you know, really what it's all about. Okay.
1: Um, I, I think the easiest way to explain it is it's sport policy think tank. You know, there's political think tanks and there's military think tanks and economic think tanks and health policy think tanks to study Issues in those areas, but there hadn't really been one for sports. And Nader actually is a longtime sports fan too. He grew up a diehard Yankees fan. He's one of the few pictures in his office is of Lou Gehrig. It's actually a painting, and he that's that's his idol. Growing up was Lou Gehrig because of his work ethic, and he never missed a day of work, and his uh, class class guy and all that. So, uh, in terms of league of fans. He, he, as a consumer advocate, there were several instances where he felt like fans were getting screwed over on ticket prices and seat licenses and having to pay for stadiums for these wealthy owners through uh, taxes, etc. And he thought, you know, here's an area that no one's talking about looking out for the little guy. And so he, he between his passion for helping people in in consumer advocacy areas and his passion for sports he came up with uh this
0: organization wow well that's neat that you know he he has that passion and and obviously you you uh have a passion for policy so well we'll talk a little bit about that in a second but you know you grew up in denver in the in that area um where did you go to high school in denver
1: It's called Random High School, which is in Westminster, Colorado. And it's actually not a high school anymore. It's, uh, it's become a middle school, the two high schools in Westminster merged and they're both, you know, now it's just under Westminster High School and Random became a middle school. So uh, yeah, it's a suburb of north of Denver, Westminster.
0: Yeah. I, I was fortunate. I lived there for a year in, in Westminster and also three years in Broomfield. So I know that area pretty well. So, so how did you get your start in sports? I mean, did uh, did your mom and dad like get you involved in new sports and then next thing you know, you just fell in love and boom, here you are. I mean, how did you get your start?
1: Uh, well, like I mentioned, my dad was a coach. And so my first experience was taken along with him to some of his practices and games. I remember he would bring me into the locker room and I'd meet the players who, you know, were ninth, 10th, 11th grade, whatever they were. I thought they were like, you know, going in to watch the Lakers or something. (laughs) That was cool. And and, uh, yeah, I started early in basketball, baseball, football, and uh, just fell in love with it uh, early on.
0: Yeah, and, and you, and you uh, went directly to, to University of Denver right out of high school? and, and- yeah, yeah, I had an
1: athletic scholarship to play basketball, and then uh, our baseball team my senior year made it to the state championship game, and ironically, the University of Denver baseball coach asked me if I wanted to play baseball at DU, and I said, well, I'm already coming for basketball, and he goes, that's awesome, then I don't have to waste a scholarship on you. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did both the first year which was quite challenging being in college trying to play two sports at once with the academics and everything I would finish basketball practice and literally run out to baseball in my gym shorts and basketball gear and take a little batting practice and uh, the basketball coach ended up being fired after that first year and, and anyway long story short I, I my last three years I just played baseball there Okay.
0: Wow. So being able, the, the thing about the Denver area that I've always appreciated is it is a sports crazy community, especially on the pro side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, uh, with all the success that the teams have had with the Broncos, of course, uh, in recent past and the avalanche and, you know, I, what's it like to, I mean, what, what was it like to, And you've lived there your whole life, right? I mean, you know, uh, have you had opportunities to leave? I mean, uh, yeah, I,
1: you know, for a while, I was considering being a sports management professor at Ithaca College, and um, another one in in a smaller college in Georgia, And, and my wife and I both decided we didn't want to live in either one of those places. I mean, we grew up in Colorado, and the lifestyle here is pretty awesome, and some of my earlier jobs, I had done some traveling uh, around the country and soon realized that I had it pretty good here in Denver. And so we just decided to stay here the whole time.
0: Yeah, it's a great it's a great place to call home. There's no question. I know my, my wife, Candy, and I sure love living there for the four years we were there. Um, so you brought up your dad, of course, as an early ladder holder for you. But who else has held a ladder for you to the great success that you have?
1: Oh, i think it it starts with coaches i mean you played sports you know if you get a, a good influential coach who's interested in also developing you as a person not just in an, as an athlete it's it's a pretty cool thing you know they can give you advice they they become not just your coach but a counselor and mentor and uh, so that helped uh, in terms of you know helping me find grad school for sports and then once you're in the sports field, you start developing relationships and, you know, it's something that I've looked back on and seen how people have helped me. And so I try to do that similar type things now when young people are looking to get into the field.
0: Yeah. And I look forward to to hearing more about that a little bit later on, for sure. So obviously with what you do, you know, you wear a lot of hats. Seems like most of the people that are guests on the podcast, uh, wear a lot of hats. Um, So what are some of the biggest challenges you face day to day in your current role or roles? Uh,
1: Challenges, uh, let's see, I would, you know, I think a big challenge is there's so many different sports issues, sports policy-based issues that you can write about on a day-by-day basis. When I first started in this job, Ralph Nader and I, sat down and we identified 10, what we thought were the 10 biggest sports issues at the time and they really haven't changed much. And so you always write about them, things like concussions in sports, brain trauma and uh, crazy adult parents and coaches in youth sports and uh, how stadiums and arenas should be funded. Uh, It's a pretty long (laughs) list, but there's there's always something new every week. there's an, an issue of some type that comes up, uh, you know, uh, I think college sports has been a big area where, you know, the, the whole question about how should players be compensated, do they deserve more than just tuition, room and board? And, and now, uh, they can take advantage of their names, images, and likenesses and and get some outside money. And so that's been a hot topic, but I I, I think just finding the topics uh, to write about and then, Uh, being heard. I mean, there's so much out there. Uh, It's just, you know, making connections, getting getting heard, getting interviewed. Uh, You know, people have found me, writers have found me as a source for stories when they want to quote on something. And I think the the challenge is just being focused and um, taking the time to do some in-depth research on some issues instead of just, you know, off the cuff, like a lot of columnists end up doing.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to kind of uh, give a shout out to Ken's uh, podcast, league of fans sports forum podcast. Uh, I was very fortunate recently to be a guest on his podcast. And we talked a little bit about uh, sports psychology and, and the impact it's had uh, and could have in the future. Um, as one thing that's uh, uh, going to make an impact, I think. I mean, do you, what are some trends that you see coming up pretty soon? Obviously with name, image, and likeness, having just kind of just hit hit uh, everyone in the college uh, sport industry. I mean, what are some other things that you think are going to kind of take place here in the near future? Well,
1: I think uh, brain trauma and contact sports is is actually the most important issue right now, and I think it's just going to get bigger. I mean, we've all heard about the concussion problems and chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the disease of the brain that results from repetitive contact to the skull and brain in the NFL and and some in the NHL, but and some in college football, but I think it's going to get even bigger at the high school and youth levels. You know, high school football. There's millions of kids playing. A lot of times, they're having practices without even a trainer on the field. Um, Coaches aren't educated enough to know when to pull kids off. Uh, I I think if there's a couple big lawsuits by parents uh, against high school school districts, it'll get to the point where the insurance costs will be so high that school districts might not be able to sponsor football anymore. And I think football is not going to die at such a religion in this country. But I think, it'll it'll move towards club type things where kids and parents that want their kids to play football will do so more through clubs than through high schools in the future.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I, I, I do think that football, even if you think about it, like if you look at any of the old footage from like the 70s uh, in how much was allowed and accepted on the football field. Um, whether that was a, you know, uh, of course you being a Denver person, certainly probably not a Raiders fan, but Jack Tatum, you know, yeah. uh, hitting people and from his defensive back position and, um, or other people just trying to take folks heads off. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would expect, I think football is going to probably change a lot. I don't, I don't think that, Uh, people will uh, look at it in the same. I don't think it will look the same in about 20 years. Uh, Yeah, it's interesting,
1: Tim, because you can modify other sports that have a lot of head trauma, like the NHL has cracked down on fighting and shots above the shoulders. I mean, they still need to do some more work on protecting the human brain and that sport, but there's modifications that can be made that won't change the game that much. Same with soccer. It's surprising how many cases of CTE there are in soccer, these old time soccer players with the cognitive decline and depression and anxiety from constant repetitive sub-concussive trauma of just doing headers nonstop. Initially, what was discovered with CTE was everyone thought it was just concussions related. If you have five concussions, you're maybe, in trouble for getting cte down the road but uh, new studies have shown that it's not just concussions it's repetitive sub-concussive hits over and over like offensive defensive linemen just constantly banging heads where they're not getting concussions but they're over time causing some brain damage
0: yeah well and you know some other research it's very interesting to me uh, how um Rug rugby where in rugby we don't you know, there's not as much uh, padding, of course, certainly not uh, helmets, shoulder pads and things like that. And there's less uh, concussion from my understanding, less concussions within rugby than there is in um, in American football. Yeah. Uh, and and it's you know, I, I do believe uh, it's interesting because I, I know you. Uh, you know, that Pete Carroll has been really big uh, with the Seahawks, really been big on, on rugby tackling, basically tackling and rolling and as opposed to just trucking someone, (laughs) you know? Um, Well, well, yeah. And and rugby, you know, they still have their problems. It's a high contact sport, but
1: you're right. They, they have, you know, slight helmets, but nothing like NFL helmets. So they, they tackle with the shoulder, put the head to the side and don't ram their head you know, right in there, like NFL players that in recent years, they just use their helmet as a spear. And so it's always head first contact. And that's a big difference between rugby and football in terms of the number of concussions and long-term brain issues.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, you just think about playing backyard football. I, I don't know about you, but that, I was tackling with my shoulder with my head to the side. I certainly wasn't putting my, uh, my quote-unquote headgear into numbers <laughs> you know? No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> so so um, but, but to your to your main point about football changing in 20 years i i think like i mentioned with soccer soccer you could you know eventually ban heading and you could still play soccer you know you just take take balls off your shoulders or even allow arms but and and hockey wouldn't look much different but if you take tackling and blocking out of football you basically have touch football and that's not going to be that attractive to the fans so I, I don't know how much you can change i think they're doing the best they can in terms of with spearing and uh, headhunting and throwing players out of the game for that kind of thing but there's there's it, just limits it's such a aggressive violent game that it's going to be hard to totally protect the brain and one of the things that frustrates me is some coaches uh talking about there's going to be this magic helmet or there already is these new helmets that are going to protect the brain so much better and it's just kind of physiologically impossible no matter how good the helmet is because what your brain sits inside the skull like a like jello in a bowl and when there's contact it's the brain's just jiggling around there crashing against the side of the skull so new helmets are great skull fractures are basically a thing of the past because of the great helmets but it unless you can figure out a way to put a helmet inside the skull on the brain it's not gonna there's not going to be a magic helmet that that ends the concussion and brain trauma issue
0: yeah i know i agree with that and uh i growing up in south alabama you know i i play football of course most every kid down there does and um I remember I, and during my, I believe it was my eighth grade year of uh, playing, I got a Kelly helmet, which, uh, they were, they had a big, uh, agreement with, um, at the time the Southwest conference, Texas and all those schools, and they were known to, to basically crack. And I'll never forget. I, I was a little kid, you know, and I remember making a tackle and someone coming up to me and saying uh timmy man your, your your helmet's cracked i remember taking it off and the darn thing was cracked uh <laughs> right here and i right you know between the the uh the middle there on the crown and i, I just remember thinking wow that's i didn't think i hit any, anyone that hard but it, it, it's true i mean i can't imagine that uh I, I mean i agree with you and the research indicates what you're saying It. But it's going to be an interesting next few years. And obviously with, I mean, we could go down the road and talking about the NCAA and, and uh, major college sports and when those major college sports jump to have their own division or their own uh, association outside of the NCAA. But I think we may be taking too much time <laughs> to talk about that. Yeah. That's another hot topic. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So, um, so as far, you know, you've been involved in sport for so long, all the way back to the time when you were following your dad around and, of course, playing in, in Westminster and everything, um, but also as a professional in the industry. So when you think about skills that, uh, you know, and you've been a, a faculty member, too, in sport management, what, what are skills that are necessary, essential, really, for success uh, in the sport industry? Well...
1: The sports industry is so wide. I mean, there's so many different skills you need, you know, if you're selling season tickets for a team versus uh, being a trainer, for example. So I don't know if there's any set of skills that covers all those things, but my belief, having had many interns work with me through the years, is communication skills are just tremendously important, and that's writing and oral communication skills. I think that's uh, critical in almost every job and it's important for developing relationships to be able to be a good communicator um, on almost whatever career path you're taking. So I I think uh, working on writing skills and oral skills in terms of giving presentations, being able to talk in front of groups, that type of thing, I think those are two important skills.
0: Yeah, uh, well and I think that and it's interesting because, you know, we've had over 50 guests on the podcast this year. And uh, that communication piece is is so vital. Obviously, it's one thing to be able to speak, right? But it's another thing to be able to listen and, and hear what's being said. Um, I mean, do you think that uh, today's uh, aspiring sport professional or someone just getting into the industry, I mean, do you think that they are getting what is needed to be able to be good communicators as they go into this industry? No, I, I think it's, it's a sad
1: situation across America in terms of it. American education is, I mean, if you, you're, you're in higher ed, but there's so many cases of students getting into college and, find, and professors finding out that the writing skills are so poor and they're having to go into remedial reading and writing English type classes to bring their skill level up to where they're acceptable so and in terms of sports management programs um, I think too many of them are just in physical education areas and there's no connection to the business side Uh, so I think that hurts I think uh, I think sports management programs I mean there's a, a role for the sports sciences side in terms of sports sociology, sport history, sports psychology, that type of thing. But I think there's also needs to be a strong business piece, uh, marketing, finance, sports law, tied into those programs to make them the most effective. And I would add sports communication in there as well.
0: Yeah, I and, and obviously with communication changing because of the social media stuff, TikTok and everything else. Uh you know, it's even different now compared to like I know. Remember taking a class in sports public relations and learning how to write a, a press release. You know, which I did a lot of when I was a college sports information director and some other stuff. And it's just even changed from that perspective because you know most folks want to get that information like right away. They don't want to wait. I I don't know about you. You probably back when you were at DU. You know, I I know when I was in college, uh, I couldn't wait to go get the newspaper uh, in Mobile after we play like Spring Hill, our big rival, to go or watch the local news. Hey, they were out watching our, you know, getting coverage of our game. And I'll never forget like waiting to get a newspaper at 4 (laughs) a.m. that that morning. Now it's like automatic. You know, I can, yeah, I can find out about you know, the Irish national team playing the Czech Republic uh, uh, real time, you know? And, right, right. It, yeah. So, but I think right. you're right.
1: You can see the stats as they're happening now. Yeah. I, I remember uh, my first varsity basketball game being so excited to see my name in the box score the next morning. thought that was one of the coolest things ever, but <clears throat> yeah, the, I don't know many fields that have changed as much the last, 30, 40 years than communications in terms of newspapers being the king of the mountains and else barely existing (laughs) and all the media. I mean, like you mentioned writing press releases. It's funny, the term press release is just basically for the newspaper days and then it it evolved to media releases and now it's, you know, it's almost like instantaneous blog postings.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's absolutely right. And, you know, I, I, I always find it interesting because uh, in my role with the Irish National Program uh, as the chair of the League performance committee, I, you know, I'll, I'll be asked to provide a quote or whatever for the media release. And, you know, I've always have in my head, oh, it's going to be a release that goes directly to all these national outlets and whatever or back you know, over there, the national outlets in Ireland. But many times it's just going to go right in onto the Web page, you know, or go onto Twitter or go on Facebook, Facebook. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's, it's an amazing and I'll be interested to see how it even changes in the next 10 years, uh, even how much it's changed over the last 10, 11 years. Uh, even so, I mean, it's been interesting to, to find. A, and, and I agree with you, by the way, pertaining to the communication side. I think that we have to be able to communicate well, and uh, in order to kind of climb the ladder in this industry, and at least the next question, and it relates to networking in this field. You know, some of the people that I've had as guests don't like that word, you know, they don't like it, uh, they, they think it should be called something else. Uh, But how do you approach networking? Is it important in the field of sport?
1: Yeah, and especially in my field in terms of sports policy and and sports uh, research and writing. uh, I mean, networking to me is finding reputable sources like uh, doctors and scientists, for example, when talking about brain concussions and brain trauma in sports. uh, You know, it's not something you can just wing. So, Got to be able to develop some sources that are credible in terms of doctors and scientists in that area. And it, it's true for almost any issue, you gotta have a, a, a network. You know, in my case, I write about so many different issues. I can't just focus on building relationships in college sports, for example. I have to have relationships across multiple areas. Um, and so I think it's it's critical if you're gonna be a, a good researcher, analyst and writer, which is what I try to do, that you know, it's not just sitting down spewing my opinion. Sometimes I do that on, on, on blog entries or um, Twitter or something really quick, but for longer, bigger pieces, columns and books and position papers and stuff, I gotta have some support for what I'm saying. So you gotta have good resources.
0: Well, and I want to jump on that. Uh, You know, we're both academicians. Um, You know, do you think that a lot of people decide to make these opinion statements, but they don't back it or actually have the facts straight? I mean, I mean,
1: it, it ties into your previous question that we were talking about how, how the world of communications has changed so much. I mean, uh, newspaper writers had some time to do some reporting and research and now if you take too much time you you're lost because your competitors are posting immediately on on the internet and, and their various websites and so there's this rush to get something out and and it's on one hand it's it's a positive and a benefit to be able to get information so quickly but there's a negative, component to that in terms of you got to, as the consumer of that information, you got to be able to judge how accurate it is and make sure the source you're getting it from is credible and that type of thing.
0: Yeah. Well, and for anyone listening, that's in your undergraduate program, and if you're in an undergraduate academic program right now in sport management, or even your graduate program, especially your graduate program, uh, listen to what Doctor Reed saying because uh, ultimately we, we have to be able to back uh, uh, anything that we bring up with fact and with uh, source material. So had to bring that up. I appreciate you you, you kind of talking about that because that's important. And you know, I know that uh, in the industry. Uh, you know, it takes, it takes getting to know people. I mean, how important are relationships in, in what you do?
1: Oh, definitely, yeah. And, you know, that's probably true in any, any position. Uh, say you're a trainer for a, for a football team. I'm, you know, having network, a, a network of colleagues that, are, that you trust as trainers and you, find, you can find best practices from people, et cetera, it's, it's huge. What, whether you call it networking or just relationship building and, you know, you gotta, it's life's a relationship game and, and to be successful in almost any position, sports or otherwise, you need strong relationships.
0: Yeah. I know that's one thing. Even thinking about finding guests for the podcast, um, you know, I haven't counted how many States are represented from the guests That we've had, or, you know, I believe we have four different countries that uh, I've had guests from. And, you know, being able to make those connections is all about, you know, developing relationships with a lot of the people. Uh, Some of the people that I've had on, I I didn't know at all. Uh, But now I have a connection because of the uh, to ask and so I do think that it, it the networking piece is very important in this industry so thank you for sharing your uh, back uh, your under your experience on that and whatever now what is one piece of advice you'd give to someone who's just getting started in a career in sport and that can be in any uh, segment of the sport industry
1: yeah like I, I touched on earlier I do get college students that come across, my stuff on leagueoffans.org or I have a syndicated column through Troy media or one of my books or however they find me, they'll reach out to me and, and want to know how, how, how to get in sports, uh, whether, you know, sports marketing, which I did for a while or academics or whatever. Um, And I think that the thing I talk about the most is um, that it's highly unlikely you're going to get anywhere close to the job you want as your first job. Uh, I find it with interns that you know they're they're kind of bummed you know they got this college degree and they're ready to go they want the corner office and the responsibility and they find certain things below them but I think you have to pay your dues and so um, I would say whatever your first job is, if you wanna get in sports with, say you wanna be a general manager of a team or something, but the only job you can get initially is selling season tickets for some pro sports team. Well, take that on and be the best you can be at it. Focus on doing that job to the best of your ability and people will find you and uh, you'll get more opportunities. If you do that half-hearted because it's not what you really wanna do, no one's gonna really look to bring you along with them and move you up the ladder.
0: Yeah, I, this is an industry of effort. you know this is that that's one thing that I think a lot of people you correct me on this, but I think a lot of people look at this industry as a glitz and glamour industry. Uh, especially when they're younger, I know I did, uh, you know, looking at it and saying, well, I can't wait to have that opportunity to be a head college coach one day, wear my suit, my tie, you know, walk in front of the crowd uh, to my bench, shake hands with the opposing coach. Everybody's cheering in the stands, you got the rolled-up
1: program in your hand, like John Wooden used
0: to have. Oh, absolutely! <laughs> what you got? Hey, you got to have it all, right? So, but but I think that so many times people uh, that go into and by the way, uh, I did wear that suit and I did wear that tie and I did shake hands with the opposing coach and I did have that rolled-up, uh, uh, you know, press or not press release, uh, but the the actual program in my hand going to the bench, but it wasn't that. Crazy fan. The fans weren't going crazy for every game, and I didn't. No one. I didn't expect that I was going to have to work so hard in the background. Um, but you know, I think that that's the one thing a lot of times people forget about. I mean, do you, you know, do you think that uh, young uh, aspiring sport professionals don't realize how much goes into it?
1: I think that's true, and I think the other thing they don't realize is that sports as a field. The, the pay is generally less than in other industries. Um, everyone sees the humongous salaries that uh, players get in all these sports and the top coaches get. I just saw that Mel Tucker, the coach at Michigan State, is going to get a 10-year, $96 million contract extension. <laughs> so wow. there's, there's a ton of money in sports, but behind the scenes, if you're in public relations in sports, you might be making less money than if you were public relations for a hospital chain or something. So that's, that's something that people have to be aware of, but yeah, you have to, yeah. you have to work hard like in any field, but if you have a passion for sports, you know, it's that old saying, do what you love and the money will follow. I don't know if that's completely true, but if your heart's in it, and you work harder, and you put in extra time, and you love what you're doing, chances are you're going to get to a position where not only are satisfied, but you're making pretty good money as well.
0: Yeah, well, uh, one other stat I, I, I found very fascinating. On my run today, I was listening to ESPN, uh, the ESPN um, podcast, that uh, the daily podcast that they have, and um, they were talking about the amount of money the whole uh, episode was about coaches who have been bought out in major college sports and that since 2010 up till 2011 or 2021, sorry, uh, to this year, 500, over $540 million was paid out by universities at the major division one level of in college football, college basketball uh, to coaches who didn't, they they didn't want to, yeah, they fired. So these people, one coach in particular, I think it was Rich Rodriguez was getting paid from three different universities that he didn't do a good job at, like in the excess of like $10 million. Yeah.
1: it's, uh, It's crazy. And what we're talking about is, Nonprofit institutions. A lot of people don't realize that University of Michigan, University of Texas, athletic departments are actually under the umbrella of the university, which is considered nonprofit. So, uh, you know, these salaries, Mel Tucker getting almost ten million dollars a year at Michigan State to coach football is what I don't know, maybe twenty times what the chancellor or president of the school is making. You know, it's just it's crazy it's crazy
0: yeah and and it, it was a very interesting uh, piece i i i enjoyed it while i was doing my uh my repeats today but um so thanks uh for providing that i mean I, so last question how do you hold the ladder for others uh currently well we kind of touched on this earlier
1: i you know i um I work a lot independently, so, you know, there's, it's a pretty small office, so I don't have a lot of direct contact with younger people or that I can mentor or anything, but I do get, like I said, people reaching out by email and stuff, and so I do take the time to talk to them, whether it be through chats or actually phone calls about my thoughts to help them out. I also will do quite a few reference letters and things like that to help get people started Um, and like uh, I mentioned and you mentioned teaching classes that usually it's have an online class at least one going per semester you know where I can see what's going on stay up to date in the field and get to see you know associate with some energetic younger people whether it's the traditional student or more and more these days there's people leaving other careers and wanting to get into the sports field and so they're kind of early to mid part of their career and so it's it's fun you know given my wide experience in sports to try to try to play the mentor role every now and then
0: yeah well and i know that that's i, I being able to hold a ladder and to help others i i, I think it's interesting i i I know looking back on my own career, you know, I've had some people that have obviously held a ladder for me um, to get to the place where I am at. Um, What's interesting about it is that, and I don't know how you feel about it, but I, I, I don't think that you ever really truly arrive. That's the interesting thing is that the ladder, you might have had it held for you. Uh, and maybe even currently, somebody's holding it for you to climb to greater heights. But right. there's always going to be, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a direction you may go, another down another path or whatever. I mean, do you do you ever feel in your own uh, role? Do you ever feel like you've arrived?
1: No, no, because so much changes. A lot of it is out of your control, and it gets back to our discussion about relationships and having people in different parts of the industry or you know, different fields. I, just in terms of communications, I know a lot of people in that field that aren't in sports, but that I can lean on for stuff. So yeah, once you, once you think you've had, you've had it made or that you're a self-made person, it's just so far from the truth. If you look back on your whole life, uh, how many people influenced you in a positive way to think that anyone's a self-made person is just a fallacy.
0: Oh, man, absolutely. You're absolutely right. And, you know, I've said it on numerous occasions on the podcast of the, in the past that, you know, we do stand on the shoulders of giants. We, we uh, are a direct reflection in many ways of what they invested in us. And, you know, I think yeah. that's why it's important. Uh, I don't know
1: if you or your listeners have heard of Joe Ehrman, but he was a former football player for then Baltimore Colts, and then he got into ministry, and then he became a coach, and now he started his own, uh, I guess, nonprofit called Inside Out Coaching, and he's written a book on Inside Out Coaching, and he's just someone I totally admire on his philosophy on life and coaching. And what coaching should be all about. But he said something in one of his books that, you know, true success is um, what you can do for the relationships in your life, you know, being the best son, the best husband, the best brother, the best neighbor, the best friend, et cetera. That's what you're gonna ultimately be remembered by is your relationships and how you contribute to those. And then the second part is a cause bigger than yourself and your own self wants and self needs, um, you know, relationships and a cause bigger than yourself or causes bigger than yourself. And those are the, what he thinks are the two keys to success. And I think that's pretty right on.
0: Yeah. I, for our listeners, inside out coaching is a great book. And Joe, Joe mm-hmm. Ehrman is, is, uh, you know, I've read the book and, uh, talking about, it, you know, his days with the Colts, of course, and then uh, getting into coaching uh, at the Gilman School there in, in the Baltimore area. And, you know, if you get a chance, go look him up. Uh, any listeners out there, he, he is uh, very knowledgeable and and looks at sport in the right way. And I think that that's the critical piece, um, because I really believe that we're in a time where we need more of that. Uh, because that's what's going to matter down the road. So, yeah, um, and I
1: would recommend there was a book written about him. I, th- I um, blanking on. I think it was a season of life or whatever, but it it kind of is a year of him coaching in high school, and throughout you get his philosophy. It's very well written. It's a short, easy read. I think if you go to Amazon and put in Joe Ehrman, E H R M A, two N's, I think. And then that that book and Inside Out Coaching will pop up, and it's good stuff. I mean, he talks about our society and how males are kind of measured by uh, how much money they make and how physically strong they are and sexual conquest and things like that, and women by their looks, et cetera. I mean, it, it, he gets into all the ways that society and our egos have uh, had us look at success in, in ways that aren't healthy. And um, and that's how he brings back the focus into relationships and having a cause bigger than yourself. And it's it's just a great read. He, he was a big, tough football guy. He was a partier and all that stuff and changed his ways. And I think people would read his books and his coaching style and contrast it with the you know, the stereotypical kick him in the butt coach like Bobby Knight or Vince Lombardi and have an appreciation for how his coaching style not only wins, they were a dominant team, but also developed the athletes as whole people and not just as tools uh, to help win games.
0: Yeah, because that ultimately is what's going to matter down the road. Uh, I know that there are only a couple of games I truly remember the final score of, um, and I think that that, but I do remember my friendships and uh, mm-hmm. I think that that's the most important thing. So, well, Kent, uh, Dr. Reed, thank you so much for, uh, being a guest uh, this week. Um, how would you like to close the podcast? Oh, I just, I guess
1: I would say if, if people have a passion for sports, it's not easy to get into the industry and grow in the industry, but it's worth it. And you just got to, keep battling and work on your relationships and doing the best you can on, on your first job, your second job. And it, it's like I, I heard a coach once who was being speculated about you know all these other jobs that people are coming after. And he said, I don't worry about that. If I focus and do a great job at this place where I'm at right now, there will always be opportunities. And I think that's how you have to look at it whatever your job is, or if you're still in school, do the best you can to get that degree, and then um, you know, focus on doing the best job in your, your first job, your second job, and building relationships, and you're going to have a fun, fulfilling career.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice, and uh, Ken, thank you so much for being a guest. It's uh, always great to talk with you, and I'll make sure that I have your uh, information uh, in the show notes, so anyone can go and check out League of Fans.
1: I appreciate it, Tim. Good chat.
0: Yeah, same here. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode. We look forward to seeing you next week for our next episode. Have a good rest of your week. Thanks for listening. And until next week, I challenge you to hold a ladder for someone to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible.